1: Welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. Hello, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It's Thursday, October 27th, and I'm Dr. Dorothy Malthrup, Chief Executive Officer at Open Doors Academy, and moderator for today's forum on out of school time, which is part of the City Club's Education Innovation Series. You may have heard it called aftercare, but out-of-school time has a much broader definition, including the periods of time before before school, after school, as well as summer break. Out-of-school time programs aim to provide a safe and enriching environment during critical moments in a student's growth and development. Research has long provided evidence that structured care during these hours has lasting benefits for the whole family. For students, participating in programs has led to improved academic achievement, increased social-emotional outcomes, and better nutrition. For parents, the availability of aftercare may be a deciding factor between schools and neighborhoods. It can also provide the much-needed stability to continue in the workforce or even move up the career ladder. In a city like Cleveland, where nearly half of all households are women-led, access to these services can mean increased success, particularly for working mothers. Right now, the need for after-school programs is more critical than ever. The pandemic has laid bare the educational and opportunity inequities that have long plagued America. A national study, I'm sure many of you saw it, that was published just this week revealed that U.S. students in most states, and across almost all demographic groups, lost ground in math and reading proficiency. And the demand for these programs have only skyrocketed since the pandemic. For every child in an after-school program, three are waiting to get in. This begs us to ask, how can we better support out-of-school time services so all students can reach their full potential? Joining us here today to discuss this are three leaders in out of school time services. Dale England is Vice President for Program at the Cleveland Foundation. She brings a wealth of experience in successful programming in K-12 education, policy, and philanthropic efforts. Dr. Jennifer Harris is the Executive Director at the Rainey Institute, which provides after school programming with a focus on performing and visual arts. It is located in Cleveland's Huff neighborhood and is host to a number of off-site programs across the city. And Nancy Mendez is the president and CEO of Starting Point, which is Northeast Ohio's go-to referral agency for childcare, early education, and out of school time resources. If you have a question for our speaker or panelists, you can text it to 330 541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet your question at the City Club and the City Club staff will try to work it into the second half of the program. Members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming our panelists today. Just want to say, this is really cool to be up here and on this <laughs> on this side of the uh, the room. Um, okay, so I'd like to kind of start at the beginning here. There's many providers of out-of-school time programs in this room who've just been doing amazing work over the past couple years, uh, always, but particularly in these past couple years. But I'd like to just start, if we could, with a really basic definition of what out-of-school time is. So this. Uh, forum is focused on the after-school hours from three to six, but that's in, uh, contextualized in this broader conversation around out-of-school time. And I'd love to just, if I could, turn to Dale here, and if you would just start us off, what do we mean when we talk about out-of-school time? Yeah,
2: I mean, unfortunately, the field doesn't have one word that describes all that all of you in this room do. And honestly, I, I feel like I'm at a family dinner. <laughs> because like I know almost all of you and I like almost all of you. Um, (laughs) What? (laughs) That's not a family dinner. Um, And you know, the the way I describe um, out of school time, it's all the times, all the learning that happens, not when a kid is with a certified teacher, certificated teacher in what we think of in that nine to three space, right? When most people are in a, most kids are in a real structured environment But if you're working in the morning, if you're getting advice from the janitor in your school, if you are at a a a push-in lunchtime program, a program comes and pushes in a program, if you're in the three to six time period in the school or out of school, if you're doing stuff on Saturdays or on Sundays with all the different providers that you guys do, all of that is the out of school time space. It's all what I call expanded learning. It's just another form of learning. And the way I tried to get my kids to understand is you learn in school with that certificated teacher and equally you learn out of school. And all of those are equally important to your growth and development. You're gonna learn just as much sometimes from the counselor in your school that's gonna help you five years down the line when you're in college as you did in the math problem, right? That you got right in that one class. We just don't have one word that always describes all of that. So we use the terms out of school time, expanded learning, extended learning, depends on what you like. Um, it's not daycare, it's not just aftercare, um, it really is broader than that. I really love the term learning because the kids are all, and you know if you have kids, they're always learning, they're always copying you, watching you good for good or for bad. Um, that is this space that we're talking about and that space encompasses arts and STEM and everything, uh, technology and, you know, just a little bit of everything. I like to call it an umbrella. We're all in that umbrella. Um, and it's, it's, we have so many different types of children. We need that many different types of programs to be attractive to those children. And they may want to try five of you. <laughs> and that's a good thing, because by the fifth one, they'll decide what they like, right? Um, so I feel like it's a large family. It's a, um, it's a place where I will just say we're not always seen. And in the last two years, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like you've been seen and Mm -hmm. you've been appreciated in a way that I've not seen before, and I've been working on this for 30 years. And so I think our goal here is to talk about how we can make sure that you're being seen and supported even more going forward.
1: Great, thank you so much. It does feel like out of school time is having a moment here um, (laughs) after, uh, particularly in light of the pandemic. Um, You mentioned a couple of things, Dale, that I just wanna build on. The idea that learning happens everywhere in school and out of school. I think was a kind of shift. Of, uh, I mean, we've been building towards that, but it is really promising that I think uh, collectively we understand that that learning happens in a lot of different spaces and that's something that's critical to learning is student choice and that the students get to participate in choosing what they want to do. And I wonder Jennifer if you would talk a little bit about what the rainy institute provides and Mm -hmm. the opportunities that kids have where choice within it but also what what type of services um, you provide through that
3: well first i want to start off by saying that um, no matter where i go i always hear a story from a parent and what i hear most of is rainy saved my child's life and it it hits it hits home because if that's not an opportunity in and of itself you know, not only do we provide a safe space for children to come to and allow parents to continue working every day, we provide um, Cleveland youth the opportunity to experience the arts, whether it's dance, music, drama, or art. We provide the opportunity, whether they're experiencing, dabbling in a little, or they want to master something. and. I think I'm speaking a lot to the choir here that everyone knows the impact that out-of-school time and the arts have on education. And we're building lifelong skills. We, we say that we um, are tapping into children, building their self-esteem and confidence, giving them problem-solving skills, teaching them how to collaborate and communicate. The arts is just the way we do it, um, but because it's the arts, um, you know, it also provides helps them focus, helps their academic skills, their behavior, um, so it's, it's very far-reaching what we do, and like I said, every, everyone knows the impact that the arts have, um, and um, I think that um, through our after-school programming, which is not only in our site, but also within schools with the push-in model that Dale talked about, um, we could have a far reach for um, the youth in Cleveland thank you
1: I'd love to just talk with you Nancy for a minute minute if you would build on what what opportunities and particularly what value do you see in out-of-school time programs and after-school programs Jennifer just mentioned many things and I'm wondering from your perspective what would you like to highlight
4: well a couple things Um, building off of what uh, Dale Um, Mentioned. Uh, Unfortunately, a pandemic has a way of uh, really exposing um, a lot of weaknesses in our systems and society. And what I believe uh, the pandemic showed is the importance of of out-of-school time, and I think that's why it's having its moment. All of a sudden, you're a parent that typically could pay in middle class. You could pay for uh, Mm out-of-school time opportunities, summer opportunities. All of a sudden, it didn't matter. They weren't there and you saw how important that it was mm-hmm. for your ability to go back to work. So it's, mu- it's much more of a workforce issue than people even realized. Mm-hmm. That. So mm-hmm. start off there. And many of you may be surprised to know that 80% of a, a, a child that is in sco- a school-aged child, 80% of their waking hours are out of the school building.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And you go back to what Dale just said, that children are constantly learning. They're constantly modeling. And 80% of their waking hours are outside of the school building. We must have opportunities, learning opportunities outside the school building that enhance, uh, integrate, and and expand upon what children are learning in school. Uh, That's critical. Uh, and, and going back to what you mentioned, they also are learning creative thinking. Uh, they're t- learning uh, uh, critical thinking. They're they're learning communication, teamwork. Whether it's sports, it's whether it's art, uh, whether it's it's tutoring. It's incredibly important. Um, so I think these are some of the things that were exposed. But uh, I think now we highlight equity um, because now we have people talking about the importance, no matter what. But what we do know is too many of our black and brown children don't have that opportunity. And so we really need to think about how do we give every child an opportunity to uh, uh, access a quality after school time program.
1: Let's talk about that a little bit. So we, we can see after school and summer as a equity strategy as a way to create more opportunities for all kids, middle class kids, some, we, some families can't afford more than what, what um, kids from other environments can't, but every kid deserves these opportunities, and how do we get there? What are the things that we need to do to create more opportunities for more kids to be able to have these services? Who okay. wants to answer? <laughs>
2: Okay, I'll start calling you down. You know, the 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 one thing when you when you're funding in this space that is, to be honest, sad, is that we in the foundation world don't have enough money um, for all of the programs that we would love to for kids to be able to take advantage of, and parents don't have enough money, um, especially low low low-income parents of of all races, um, in rural areas and urban areas to afford their kids what we know would be great for their kids and you start to see the patterns when you get to I've done literally from early childhood all the way through college I mean you start to see the college kids and you ask them black, white, low income particular and you ask them how they got to where they are they mention an after school program. They mention not just the, the, the math teacher that gave them a straight A in ninth grade it's some other passion that they were involved in that taught them perseverance that taught them they could fail that taught them how to communicate. So you know that this other way of learning is equally important to their growth and development. The question is how do we get everybody to participate in that? And we don't have a government right now, to be honest, that sees that. We have funded, we've taken 20 years to build up prop finally support for early care. That took forever and is being rolled back a little bit. Um, We have a little bit of support um, for certain types of kids in certain areas but we really don't have the buy-in that we need at this point. Now, just talk about Ohio, um, in a state like Ohio, because if you really want kids to thrive and become the workers that we want them to be, and by the way, we say we need workers right now in Ohio, you gotta do this upfront work, and the upfront work costs. And the question is who's gonna pay it, and you can't just put it on a parent. It's It's not enough anymore. Maybe it was a long time ago, but if you want quality, you gotta pay those workers. When I told somebody at one point what a quality program would cost, like three or $4,000 a year, they said, we can't pay that. I says, what are you paying for your individual child to go to that horseback riding program or to go to that swimming program? You are paying that. Other kids deserve it too. The question is, how do we make the case, and by the way, this isn't just in Ohio, it's in many places, but there are many states, and Dorothy can talk about this, that are trying to systematically, in their state or in their county, Figure out a way to convince government to put more money into this space. If you put money into higher ed, you need to put money into this. You put money into early ed; that's great. It's not enough. You have to also put money into this. And I think that's the question that we should be having, and we will be having, um, at least up in Northeast Ohio over the next few weeks, months.
4: And I think why OST is having his, its moment it's because one of the reasons that I think that we need to continue to push is that it's it's important to workforce. Unfortunately, that's right. That's right. it comes down to that's the right. economy. And so uh, let's use that as a springboard to talk about why this is an incredible return on investment, period. For every $1 that we invest in out of school time, we earn at least $3 back in terms of savings as a society. Not to mention that it does help parents get back to work, and we are in the middle of a SAP shortage. So I think that we're going to have to, as a community, as folks that really understand the importance of it, come together and come up with different ways that we could speak to the state legislator to our, our, our um, business leaders and say, this is a great investment for you now and for the future.
2: It's also a violence reduction program. Absolutely, yeah. you yeah. know that. Yeah. Right, there's just so many benefits. It's like, okay, then why aren't we spending more money on this upfront yeah. well, instead of paying right. for them on the back end?
3: Go ahead, I, I think we have to focus on the staff and all the providers in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, out of school time is part-time work. You know, you don't have benefits, you don't get paid time off, and it's, it's exhausting because if you're an out of school time provider, you're working two, three, four jobs, sometimes seven days a week to make ends meet. Um, and so it's been really difficult to find highly qualified staff. And, and at Rainey, and I'm sure everyone else, like we care about the impact that we have on our children and families. And so we also care and invest in our staff. But higher qualified, educated, experienced staff equals higher wages equals higher tuition. Um, we are very fortunate to have kept costs down to almost $13 a week for out-of-school time. But because we have a very robust fundraising strategy, not every nonprofit has that support, or you know, through that. And um, it's been very difficult. But um, I mean, we do it, and year after year, it's like, how do we do this? How do we keep doing this? But um, we owe it to our staff that are working in this field to ensure that they make a wage that they can live on. Um, and yeah. it's been difficult.
1: It, it is challenging. And, you know, Craig Dorn mentioned that, that ODA is, a, can, I think you called us a Cadillac, sorry, right, Craig, um, of after school programs. But one of the reasons that we are able to sustain the work that we do and do it in the ways we do is because our team is full time. But mm-hmm. it comes with a really big cost and uh, we think a lot about how do we staff these programs, how do we create opportunities at a state and a sustainable level, and how do we braid resources and funding together to be able to do that at a systems level and at a state level, and I do want to just mention one example, I was at a conference just a couple days ago, the National Summer Learning Association Conference in Washington, D.C. And there were eight states there. Ohio was one of them that I was representing Ohio with about five other people. And five of those states have legislated a solution to creating more sustainable funding for out of school time and after school programs. I'm just gonna give you one example. The state of Tennessee took a lot of the ESSER and ARPA dollars. They set some aside to for direct service providers and districts and, and community-based organizations, but they kept a chunk of it and they legislated a solution and they funded it through some of this ARPA fund. And what they said was districts need to serve a third of their kids in summer programs, not summer remediation or summer school, but summer enrichment, opportunities like the rainy, um, Institute gives kids like why are you gives kids like tons of people in this room give kids and they put the money towards that so we could do something like that in Ohio. I really believe that we can but we need to work together and we need to build the coalition which I know many of us in this room are working towards that. Um, I wanted to ask you Nancy if I could for a minute to go to you mentioned that early child care, and Prefercleve, for example, you worked uh, in that a lot, and we have some parallels that we could draw in the out-of-school time space from the work that you and many others in this room have done in that space, and I just wonder if you would share a part of that experience or learning from that that you think applies in this context.
4: Uh, Sure. So I was blessed to um, take over, uh, join an organization starting point that was led by uh, an incredible woman and I'm sure most of you know her, Billy Osborne-Fierce, and we lost her um, a a little over two years ago. She was a leader that worked with a, a number of other leaders across the state and created what we call now Step Up to Quality. She had a deep knowledge of early childhood education and understood what it would take to make sure that there was a uh, uh, definition of quality across the board and that then we would uh, be able to fund quality across the board, no matter what your income, no matter what your zip code, no matter what your ethnicity, your child had access to quality early childhood education. We know we have that infrastructure in Ohio, especially in Northeast Ohio, with the incredible investments and, and initiatives that we have now. So what did, that, what, what did uh, Step Up to Quality do? It basically used the research um, in, on, on brain development, um, pr- best practices, and, it's, and it answered the question, what does a child need to learn be f- so that they're prepared for g- kindergarten? And so we understood that we needed a spe- specific curriculums, we needed um, some certain types of quality staffing, we needed it in certain types of environments, so those same learnings, we could apply to out-of-school time programs. The research is there, the, the connections, the, the, the expertise is out here. If we were to come together and decide, okay, let's look at the research, let's look at the best practices, and let's determine what is quality, and then we demand that of every opportunity that's out there here, this is what it means to be quality. And every child, no matter, again, their zip code, or their, their ethnicity will be uh, have access to a quality uh, opportunity, and I so I think that what's going to take is for a bunch of us to get together, and come up with a plan on how we can convince the state and uh, national government and 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 for some solutions and some funding.
1: I think right before this meeting, when we were at this forum, when we were in the other room, I think we got we said let's get together right after this <laughs> and and and, yeah, we, and have a conversation. Um, so. Quality in out-of-school time programs, let's talk about that for a minute. When you know an out-of-school time program is working, how do you know it? What's working about it?
2: Ask the kids. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if it's teenagers. They Mm -hmm. walk with their feet. Um, When I see a program, and it it doesn't have to be a fancy program in any way, shape, or form, by the way. Um, Quality does not mean fancy. It doesn't mean lots of gadgets. Um, It means the adults, who are working with those kids get those kids. And they push them. And they see things that the kids won't admit to and say, why don't you try it this way? Um, And they, as I remember talking to somebody early on here and I said, um, we wanted to just offer some trainings if people wanted them on, for the adults. And someone said to me in the room, I'll never forget this, oh no, I'm good, Um, I've been doing this for a long time. And I said, we're not funding you. If you're working with kids, if you have kids, they change every day. (laughs) I mean, you always need new training. Um, In fact, at one point we wanted to do something but the pandemic stopped it. We said, we don't want to work with the kids. We want to work with the adults. We need to admit when we need training and when we don't know something. And when there's a kid there who we don't know what to do with and we need to figure out maybe there's somebody else on our team who can deal with that kid, right? And by the way, that can start very early all the way up to high school. So quality to me is that the adults in the room can describe every kid in that program that they are working with, what they're getting out of it, and where they need to go next, by the way. You may be done with that kid after ninth grade, and they need to go to somewhere else. How are you passing them along? Um, Things like that, when the conversations I'm talking about quality, I'm looking for stuff like that.
3: Um, I'm going to kind of echo what Dale said, (laughs) and I think that um, you could walk into a classroom and tell if it's a quality room. By the way that the um, staff talk <gasps> with the children, the, um, the way that they respect them, that they too are considered a learner in this process, mm-hmm. and they're listening to the children, and that they are also um, questioning. You know, we learn from questions. They're not directing, they're not delegating, they're, you know, of course there's always a need for that. Um, and. Um, I think that that is difficult. That our challenge in finding quality um, staff is the gap between you could be an artist or you could be an athlete or you could be an IT tech person, but are you an educator? Do you understand children and how you get to engage them and understand about them? And that's the gap that at Rainy we've been saying, you know, there's a gap here. So, how do we? How do we work through that gap?
4: If I could give an example, Please. Um, and I don't think my brother would mind, because um, <laughs> he'll never know, he's in Miami. Oh, yes, yeah. um, so, so my brother, who I, I adore, um, was a little bit of an oddball in a family of seven, where we were all very uh, athletic, we played uh, sports, except for my brother. He was creative, he was a dancer. And he stuck out, mm. and he was, and so he was a near West Side Puerto Rican boy who loved dancing, and um, he struggled in school. He he struggled trying to find his place. Then he found a place, and it was called Karamu. Mm. Mm. He took two buses, and he would take himself to Caramu, and he got involved, and he in, in dancing, modern uh, ballet plays. My parents started to go see him dance and he ended up going to Duke Ellington in DC mm-hmm. for high school mm-hmm. and the college, now University of, of Performing Arts in Philadelphia for dancing. Did that for a while, but now he had the confidence, he had a passion, he knew who he was. And even after he got out of professional dancing, he went back to school and got his master's. Now he has two masters in early childhood education with a specialization in mental health. Wow! That's wow. what these programs, that's a quality program. So,
3: so. I want I'm, I'm interested in what did that form at CAREMU, what? what he found
4: a place, a home. Um, he found adults who understood him. Mm-hmm. He found a place to be able to express his talent and then understand that it was talent mm-hmm. and it gave him the confidence then to be able to take that back to school as well. So uh, that's what yeah. it did for him. <laughs>
1: Thank you for sharing that. I was, I was actually going to head into, we, we're going to take questions in just a minute, so we'll, we'll transition there in just a second. But I, I was about to transition to ask you to share a personal story. Nancy, you just did of your brother, yeah. and volunteered him, thank yeah. you. But do you have a connection, a personal connection to after school or summer that you would like to share, Dale or Jennifer, with the audience?
3: Well, I, I just remember I was an athlete. I was in volleyball. And I was frustrated and not feeling like I was being listened to or heard. So my junior year of high school, I quit volleyball and did something. I went out for the dance team. I never danced before in my life. And those that know me probably would say she can't dance. (laughs) But I stuck my arm out. I went out for the dance team, and I made it. But that experience taught me that I have a choice, that Mm -hmm. I could do something, and that it was my choice. My parents or no one else held me back. People said, what are you doing? You can't do that, my coaches were mad. But I went and I did it and I made it and I had a great time. But it was impactful. Yeah,
2: Wonderful. I'm definitely not a dancer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I have um, one personal, you know, I would say sometimes we forget that one of the places where kids do a lot of after school is church. And I would say church was my after school, just my whole life. Everything they did, my mom just stuck us there. Um, And it felt like being stuck for a while and then it felt like my home um, in multiple ways. Um, But the story I really give is my daughter who, okay, maybe she won't watch this. Um, Claire, don't say anything to her. (laughs) Um, You know, she was kind of shy and I'm working on youth development so I do know what you should do. I'm just trying to figure out what's the right program. And it turned out at the school they actually had a dance teacher. Um, and she did dance after school, and Lena did not want to do dance. And I said, "Just try it." But <laughs> well, she liked the teacher, and I knew. I, it's, I can still remember the moment walking into the auditorium. It's sixth grade. She is up on the stage with maybe just eight other girls, and she's dancing for the first time in public. <laughs> and me and her dad are very nervous. <laughs> and she, she did great. And just coming out of her shell. From the, and I'm not an arts person at all. I couldn't two left feet. <laughs> Um, but watching her, she, she eventually took drama at one point because she was shy enough. that She said, I'm going to learn how to speak in public just so I know how to do it when I need to do it, right? Um, just for kids to be able, what I want to have happen for every kid is that they are able to understand enough about themselves, not what adults say about them, what mm-hmm. they understand about themselves that they can pick and choose from all of you of what they want to try. Right? They don't know if it's going to work. We don't know that. Mm-hmm. But you want to give them the ability to try and the access to try. And we don't want a paywall behind it, right? And because we know when they do that, they are persevering, they are understanding themselves. I talk to adults all the time and I go, I wish you'd done more after school programs, right? Because it teaches you about yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the more we, I stick to, I tell people I work with kids all the time, I want to work on youth, because I want to create better adults. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: I feel like I'd be better if I went through other programs. (laughs) (laughs) So just the question is, how can we pay for it? We know what it looks like, all of you are doing it. I can mention every single program you guys are doing, they're amazing. We just got to figure out how to pay for it and how to keep quality, it's not just everybody, Um, but we've got to figure that out and we've got to figure it out together
1: because us going individually to the State House doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. We can do it. I mean, I know that this room, we could do it and we have a vision and we've got models. I think we We can do do it and it's worth it for all the reasons that you just mentioned. Okay, let's go. I think we're good to transition to our questions now. So uh, we're about to begin the question and uh, answer period. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, and those joining via our live stream at cityclub.org. If you'd like to tweet a question for our panelists, please tweet it at the City Club. You can also text it 330-541-5794. That's 330 330- 541 5794. And the City Club staff will work it into the program. So I think we're ready for our first
3: question.
0: Thank you. This is a panel of drum majors. I think many
3: of us in the community here gathered are eager to march to the drum beat that you set. Talk to us about evaluation we can use across our programs that will. Make a loud noise in the State House um, that will really bring attention to the great work going on in the community. Thanks.
2: Yeah, good question. Go
3: ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I believe that telling stories, um, getting our youth and parents to tell their stories, is sometimes more impactful than anything. Um, and I think it's important to get the stories out there. How, you know, I always say, how did Rainey save your child's life? What, what, did, what did Rainey do? Um, and then when I hear that story, it's like, oh, I want to capture it. I know the numbers are important, which someone else could talk about, <laughs> but I always say stories.
4: Yeah. I think it's a combination. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely, you have to humanize it so that that individual can picture their child in, in the story that you just told and then see the importance of it. So I just want to mention, that middle-class children, on average, receive 4,000 more hours of after-school care than low-income children by the time they're in sixth grade.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And so that's, again, a, a, a stat that we really need to talk about when folks are, are asking questions about violence in particular neighborhoods or um, uh, low graduation rates. These are the numbers that we can point to. But on the positive side, we have a lot of research that speaks to the importance of after school programs i believe it's the after school alliance that has had uh, some really incredible research in large cities across the country that show that low-income children who have had opportunities for after school programming have had higher graduation rates mm-hmm. and higher uh, post uh, uh, college college rates as well and graduation rates there so there are some research uh, studies that coupled with those personal stories that I believe can arm us to to make really good cases as why this is a great investment for the state of Ohio.
1: I would just add to that, that we know that when an after-school program is working, it increases, and kids are participating in that, it increases school day attendance, Mm -hmm. which then indirectly influences kids' performance and their ability to read and write and do all the things that we want them to do. It also uh, increases their, are opportunities that they have so they are more likely to try things when they've participated in an after-school program Than they would if they haven't and that can make a really big difference and just on the story side I would add from the from talking with kids and then also the literature There's been many national studies done about kids who participate particularly in after-school programs and across the country They say that they do three things that they find their friends, that they make friends, and that's why they go and that's why they stay, that they have the support of a loving adult. Yep. And we know that if you have, doesn't, it can be a teacher, but it doesn't necessarily need to be a teacher. If you have a loving adult in your life, you do great things. It's an ingredient for success. And the other thing that they say is they figure out what they wanna do, and sometimes that means they figure out what they don't wanna do. But that helps them right. in their future and um, in the work that they choose to do and probably the confidence, like you mentioned, in your brother and all sorts of things. Okay, let's go to the next question.
5: Thanks, Dorothy. This microphone is your height, by the way, not mine. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'm Dorothy's board president at Open Doors Academy. Awesome. I think we all saw the data that came out this week that just, or basically said what we all knew about these kids falling behind. and it, the numbers were almost staggering. And I'm just kind of wondering what our panelists think we can do from an out-of-school time programming standpoint to help. I know, Dale, you said that a lot of the learning comes outside of class. What are things that we can do outside of the classroom to help get our kids back on track?
2: Oof. <laughs> um, so I'll put it in two categories, I, I think, as a start. I mean, I'm sure many people could help answer that question. Um, You know, one other thing that happened these past two years is the link between the out-of-school time sector and the formal education sector grew. In most places, it strengthened, not in all. I know here in Cleveland, we had our academic learning pods. We had all sorts of ways for our out-of-school time providers to work even closer with our schools. We've now got to Say Yes, providing more money to get those programs into schools directly. All of that is good, and we need more of it. Um, And the question is, we don't want to go back that we're the stepchildren because that's how I used to describe us for years. Um, We're important sometimes. (laughs) Um, So the question is, I sometimes say, who amongst this group, what relationships do you have with your schools? Because the group that I think needs to be convinced more about what we do is teachers and principals. You may ask them and they say, I want an after school program in my, in, my, in my room, I mean in my building, but they don't always know why or what type or these 10 kids will want this and this, school, this these eighth graders will need that. They really don't and I'm not blaming them. There's a lot on them. But we've got to find a way to convince that target population because they speak loud. Legislators listen to them. The money follows them. We've got to find a way, and we started it a little bit, a lot actually here, I think we're doing better in Cleveland than we have ever in the past. But that's one target group that I think if we want to help the kids, the adults have to learn how to work better together.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We've got a text question. So for aftercare, if parents are at work, and cannot get their kids from school to the program location. It limits options. Dell and Jennifer mentioned the phrase, push and model. Has this received more support and funding as a common sense solution with the shortage of bus drivers?
3: OK, so, so this is yeah, yeah, not um, question. You know, we get calls so, sometimes a couple a week from schools asking us to provide visual or performing arts programming within a school. Um, they have the dollars, we don't have the staff. I mean, trying to find high quality, out of school time educators that are artists that look like the kids that we serve is very difficult. Um, The out of school time opportunities are not the same as our program. Our program provides a meal. Our program provides homework support and tutoring. It's a chunk time out of school, um, the push-in model, we're seeing that, you know, it's like 45 minutes or 50 minutes. Would you want to go work a job where it's only 50 minutes a day or then you have to go to another program? So it's been really hard to meet the push-in model. Really difficult.
2: Yeah, there's some structural barriers to push-in. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be overcome when you have good relationships amongst mm-hmm. the adults, um, but if you don't have that, um, it's hard. And and our state unfortunately doesn't invest in transportation, and so we're in a particular bind here.
3: I also find that there's um, the principal Dale is like needs to be your champion, Um, but they don't often know how to structure and develop a program, an out-of-school-time program to be successful, Um, and we ask for that control. Like that's something that we ask for, because we found when we don't, we end up in the hallway, we don't have any support, I mean, dealing with kids, getting them in and out, and we need their support. So that principle is key in allowing to develop the program.
1: I think we can also keep framing it as an opportunity to create greater educational equity, and. transportation is not I always say like it's not sexy nobody wants to fund transportation so I you know as in my work I try I go around it and I try to fund it in all these different ways but it's hard to raise money for that and I think that also needs to be part of the state solution how do we get kids to and from these opportunities or do more school-based programs
3: I, I, I think that a great solution would be working together to change what, whether they're state or local policies on transportation. Every day we see the school buses pass by 55th on Rainey. If they would just stop and let kids out. Like, that is not difficult, just stop. There's a stoplight, open the door. We could expand our programming, but they, they can't. And so if, if the money went to them somehow, because we are not accessing all the kids that we can be. Yeah.
5: Hi, can you speak to best practices
3: around inclusion of exceptional learners in our programs? So many kids are being served on IEPs in their educational setting, but those IEPs don't follow them to the out-of-school time programming. It's a massive barrier to those um, and yeah. participation for
5: exceptional neurodiverse learners.
3: Great, thank you. Does anyone feel like they can? I can. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Sure. Great. Great. Yeah. Um, So being that my background is special education, um, you know, I want to accept all children in. And I think that it's important to train your staff to look at every child and their individual needs. Um, Once you do find out, there has to be somebody in that organization, in the after-school, out-of-town program that's comfortable, that has a comfort level of asking the parent questions, connecting with the school, giving, you know, the parent, that's the parent's document. The parent can give it to you if the school is not. Um, but you know, in the arts, like our programming meets the needs of those kids, mm-hmm. um, so it, it's a lot easier in our programming. But um, I, I say, like, um, teaming up with the parent to be an advocate, and it's how you approach your philosophy in working with those kids. And I'll, and I'll just that's
2: add: how. when we had the academic learning pods, we found that as a weakness amongst many of the groups. And they acknowledged it, and yet who was coming to the academic learning pods were the exceptional learners. Because yeah. they really needed in-person yeah. learning. And so we did some tr- joint trainings across all the providers that were doing the learning pods, including Mr. Aronde over there. Um, and it, it feels like a space where the out-of-school time providers need some more support. Um, but we need to do it together, um, because you all face it. Um, but I will just say, you also have adults who they won't acknowledge that they don't know. Um, we found some that were just when we went and visited, you could see that there were exceptional learners there, but they don't always know what to recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, and so education has had to train themselves up in this space, partly because of lawsuits. OST providers need to do the same thing. We need to figure out a way to do that within the field. It's, I think it's a weakness in the field. Mm-hmm. It's not just individual programs. Yeah:
5: I'm up. I yeah. that) uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so honored to be here and just to hear some of this. Um, I go way back to the Barbara Byrd issue and stuff, but if further back to that okay. as a consultant at school board. And I'm in prevention. My name is Ricky V. Ward, everybody. And uh, I'm totally blind. A graduate out of Cleveland State. I just like to throw it in because I love Cleveland State. <laughs> but more than anything is that when you say that they're learning, it's the part that when they're out of school, who's teaching them? The unlearning that we're trying to solve now is that I support every principal and every teacher, but their hands are so full. And I think one of the solutions is, is that um, when we talk to, when I heard the young lady about her brother, and I think about Yuma that on the West 25th that I was working with, and then I work with the East Side Yuma that, when I'm talking about the cultural difference, sometimes you have to bring that man, that third party, who can reach that child. Because mm-hmm. I always say, we always say we handicap. handicapped. I don't like labels. I don't mm-hmm. even say that I'm handicapped when I tell them that I got my bachelor's and my master's out of Cleveland. I don't think I'm handicapped no more.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so more
5: than anything is that we can empower them in some way that connecting the outside, open the door from the after school program, dealing with, when you said the, the parents, but the parents that I'm dealing with is it's a broken family right now. Yes. The father's not there. He's in, re, locked up. Mother's on drugs. This we're dealing. So when that child comes to you, we have to have a build of trust.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: And that trust carrying that baton of wisdom to the teacher and to the principal, then we can put the care ring around them. Because something's been unsolved and something's overwhelmed that nobody's hearing. Until I can get him to the art, I have to deal with the problem first. Mm-hmm. So that's the after school program I'm trying to think about. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for that. The, it, trust is at the heart of all learning, really. But if you kids learn from people that they love and that they trust, they're not going to learn from people that they don't trust. Thank you for that.
0: Okay, We've got another text question. Cuyahoga County recently slashed the budget for Say Yes in Cleveland, citing restrictions for funding. What are Cleveland area OST providers pre- preparing for if Say Yes funding were to fall short? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: want to take that, Take too? the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: uh, you know, there has been some publicly acknowledged um, issues with funding for Say Yes, particularly for the family support specialist. Um, that is being worked out to the best of my knowledge um, between the county and our Say Yes staff. Say um, Yes is here to stay. We've ra- they've raised almost all the money for the scholarships, um, you have to, there's different parts of money. There's money for the family support specials which is publicly funded. There's money for out of school time which is mostly publicly funded. Um, and so I do believe that's gonna get resolved. Um, but it is an example where you never take your foot off the pedal. Mm-hmm. Even we learned this from early childhood. If you had told me that we would be fighting for early childhood right now in the state of Ohio after all the work they did over 25 years, I would have told you you were crazy. Because everybody should know about early childhood, but everybody does not. It's the same without a school time and with what those family support specialists do. It's amazing what they do. They are what this g- gentleman just said they are the wraparound, trust, loving support for these kids when they don't fit anywhere else. Right? They do create the red flags and try to figure out what's happening day to day. Um, for someone not to understand what they do, it, and we've had four years of working with them, by the way. we had tons of stories, but a few people didn't. So you, you, you gotta keep your foot to the pedal.
4: And I, I would just add, uh, well, just a quick aside, the attack on early childhood education started two weeks after I took the job. Uh, so, um, but we fought back, and we fought back with data, We fought back with collaboration and partnership, um, and so it can be done. And your question just highlights the importance of the time that we have now that we are talking about out-of-school time. We are the average middle-class person felt the hurt temporarily when there was no out-of-school time available or summer programs available because of the pandemic. They, for the f- probably many families for the first time felt what the, the struggle and the pain is when you do not have that ex- expansion, that, ex- that other place to send your child after school hours. So this is the time to really rally around this issue and push for more sustainable long-term funding on the
2: state and federal level. You
1: know, there's the yeah. phrase
2: take advantage of every crisis. Right. We've had a crisis. They see you. They see us. Take advantage of the crisis right now. Because in three more years, it will be a different one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's yep. a moment.
0: We have another. Hello. <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh, stop it. So
4: cute.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: it was inevitable.
2: <laughs> um,
4: in my experience, not mine, but the question is a text question. In my experience, smaller
0: out-of-school-time program providers run into red tape issues attempting yeah. to partner with schools or school yeah. districts. Yeah. Do you have advice or insights on navigating that challenge? Ooh. <laughs>
2: it's a real thing. It's, yeah. um, I think it's one of the reasons the groups like our, our, our system-wide organization, MyCom were created, so that they can sometimes help navigate on behalf of the smaller groups. Um, or help give them advice Mm -hmm. on how to work with particular schools or principals. Um, We've done a couple of cohorts with with smaller groups to help them build their capacity to manage through, there's a lot of red tape, Um, but I I will just say it's, in some um, sectors you want to get to scale, right? You want Mm -hmm. the programs that can work with a thousand kids or 2,000 kids. Actually in after school, I'm not sure we want to get there. We have so many different types of kids and so many different types of programming that they should be able to take advantage of. You want the niche programming. You want the kids that only, I know it's not economically sometimes efficient, but it's better for the kids and for us ultimately as society to have the program that deals with 50 kids and they stay with those 50 kids. I've seen these programs for five, 10 years. Difficult kids that by the way, some of the rest of us don't want, but they are willing to stay with them. They're a niche, small, program that we need in the sector. The question is how to make sure that they can access the resources that everybody else can.
4: And I think we have a great model with early childhood education where we deal with family childcare homes that need to go through a lot of red tape. They need to get certified uh, and, and they have to fill out a lot, you know, number of applications. And incredible people from starting point are some of the folks that will work hand in hand with those individuals to walk them through the paperwork, walk them through the process, and and it's very effective. The so the family child care homes I'm talking about folks that maybe ten and under six six children in a home, they were critical for um, the the system during the pandemic because the child care centers were in their homes, so we were able uh, to walk mm-hmm. hold their hand through the process, and we could do the same with um, the 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 smaller. Uh, after-school programs as a community. Uh, we could come together, my comm, say yes, starting points, and we could provide that service for, for our community.
3: I'll give an example of a strategy that, that we use at RAINY. Again, everyone is jockeying for the same staff for out-of-school time. It's like we're all jockeying for the same transportation. Um, we have um, is partnered with smaller organizations um, that provide arts for children and have staff too Um, and so we go into the school and it may be that we are contracting with another organization to provide a piece of that art um, programming um, which leverages their organization to get into a school. But that's just a. I mean, we've had to do that because of staffing.
1: I I also appreciate the model that Say Yes has offered this community on out-of-school time, which is to work together with partners and different providers, small providers of Mm after-school time, and to kind of knit those services together under one K eight building model, which is, I think, a really great way to preserve choice and to preserve and work with the smaller organizations and. Uh, and be able to offer kids a lot of mm-hmm. different variety while maintaining kind of quality and this overarching kind of umbrella approach to, this and coordinated approach to the K through eight program. Because kids do need a lot of, need a lot of different things mm-hmm. and the little ones, the K through two, are much different than the six through eight kids. Uh, I think we've got time for maybe one or two more questions.
0: Yes, we've got another text question. So, to what degree have the panelists found the libraries, like Cleveland Public Library, as key players, and what can libraries do to better help? Great. Good. Good.
3: Great. Go I would like to. I think Any the answer? library was a key player at Rainey for years, and then the pandemic hit, and I think there's been some restructuring, and they're trying to, you know, kind of get back. Um, and but they they were a great partner. Um, that's the safe place in the community where kids go. Um, and it's close by. Um, so I think that re-engaging the library to provide more programming is another strategy to reach more kids if you have the staff.
4: I think they can be a very critical partner in solving long term out of school time opportunities. Uh, they they are a trusted uh, safe place in many of our neighborhoods um, and we have some great leadership I bo- I believe in both the Cleveland and Cuyahoga libraries that are very open to these conversations.
2: When you think about where the most kids are um, after school these days, they are in libraries, they are in sports, those are the two biggest, actually, Mm -hmm. and and Cleveland is blessed to have the rec centers. Not every city has that. Um, That's where the largest number of kids are in those three areas. If you add up all the rest of your providers, maybe that would be another target area. So when you think about after school, you have to include libraries, you have to include sports, um, you have to include those spaces, and all of those places teach incredible learning to kids. I'm agnostic on what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just get them in a safe space where adults love them and can really push them to be the best that they can be. I yeah, think that's, <laughs> yeah. and,
1: and that's a great. That's a great place to end, just to push kids, encourage kids and and show up for them and give them what they need and to collaborate. Uh, thank you so much, Dale, Jennifer, and Nancy, thank you for being here and thank all of you for joining us at the City Club today. Today's forum is part of the Education Innovation Series in partnership with Nordson. A big thanks to the City Club Member Education Committee for their work on this forum. We would also like to welcome guests and thank us at the tables hosted by MyCom Cleveland, Nordson, Open Doors Academy, Starting Point, and Youth Opportunities Unlimited. Also, we'll remind you that it was just announced on Monday, November 7th. We will hear from Kurt Russell, the 2022 National Teacher of the Year, who's from Oberlin, Ohio. Tickets are still available, and you can find out more at cityclub.org. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you once again to our panelists. Thank you all of you, members and friends of the City Club. I'm Dr. Dorothy Malthrop, and this forum is now adjourned.
0: For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org.